Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. If you think we have free speech issues in America these days, well, my friends in Ireland want to tell you that um, uh, it may not be as bad as you think it is because in Ireland, it's about to get really bad. And uh, joining me right now is Ben Scallon from Gript.ie. Great site. Uh, good friends of mine over there at GRIPT.ie. And... Um, uh, over there, they're talking about imposing a speech law to combat hate speech and what that might mean. And Ben, that's not really a popular concept among the voters in Ireland. As it turns out, I think Leo Varadkar was maybe a little surprised to find out how unpopular that actually was. Well, yeah, thanks for having me, first of all, Ed. And you're right that uh, the government is attempting to roll out this very radical piece of hate speech legislation, uh, so-called hate speech. I mean, whether you personally view that even as a meaningful concept, I don't. I think that there's just speech Same. that politicians hate. Uh, and <laughs> that, that's about the long and short of it. But when it comes to this legislation, uh, we can get into the the full kind of ramifications of what it'll mean and some of the provisions within the bill. It hasn't actually been signed into law yet, but it's currently in the process of working its way through our parliament and it's very close to completion. But uh, as you say, the government basically did this consultation, a public consultation where they went to the public and they said, hey, send us in your submissions. We want to hear uh, what you think about this idea. This was way back at the start of the process at the end of 2019. And uh, they they build it as kind of showing how open to correction they were. They said, you know, we, we don't want to be uh, autocratic about the, these things. We want to hear what you think. Let's hear the Vox Populi. And uh, it just so happens that they got about 3,600 responses, which might not sound like a lot, but in a small country like Ireland, that's yeah. a pretty reasonable sample size, you know? And especially when you take into account the fact that big polling companies... Uh, if they do a poll with about 3,300 or so respondents, they'd consider that a very good poll, generally speaking, you know, right. so this is in excess of that. And uh, the results of uh, that consultation, all of the feedback that they'd gotten was up publicly available on the Department of Justice website. And it's been there for several months, actually, but nobody had taken the time to actually look through it. So this week I decided you know what, I'm going to actually sit down and look through thousands and thousands of these responses. I went through every single one of them like an absolute lunatic. And uh, as I was going through it, I was compiling and making note of how many were negative, how many were positive, how many were mixed. And what we found at Gript was basically about 73% of the respondents to the government's own public consultation were negative. So the vast majority of people that res responded to this said, we don't want this. Uh, the, the general sentiment seemed to be if somebody is engaging in violent rhetoric, saying we should kill this group of people or you should attack this person, that should, of course, be illegal. That's already illegal under Irish law and most Western right. countries. But that if somebody's just saying something that's offensive, that should in no way be a crime. That was the general sentiment from the vast majority of people. And yet, the government is proceeding with this hate speech law anyway, which brings up the question, what was the point in having a consultation if you're just going to wipe your backside with the results once you get them? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to say, too, you know, there, <laughs> it was true here in the United States, but I think it was more true in Ireland where there is a long history 
of speech suppression um, as part of a totalitarian regime that, you know, foreign regime that controlled Ireland for centuries, right? I mean, you couldn't have Catholic mass. Um, at, at least in large parts of the country, they suppressed the Irish language, which is sort of a near and dear thing to me. Uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a uh, Anglophobe by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm an Anglophile. I'm also, you know, I'm also, you know, a big um, fan of um, Irish too. But um, so I like both. But I mean, this is sort of an absurd situation. So given that history, Ben, right? <laughs> given that history of speech suppression for hundreds of years, why would Ireland go back down that road now? Well, you know, it's it's a great point. And it's interesting as well that one of the biggest complaints of Irish secular liberals, and there is a, a, a modicum of truth to this, I will concede that uh, they they complain about the fact that the Catholic Church was very dogmatic at one point in Irish history and anything that deviated from the norm. And I'm, I'm a very devout Catholic myself, so I'm in no Amen. way attacking the Catholic faith when I say this. But uh, just recently, a couple of years ago, we had a referendum to get rid of blasphemy laws from our constitution because those right. were technically enshrined in law. And they weren't ever enforced, really. There was nobody actually getting convicted of blasphemy. It was more of a, a theoretical thing. It was just there notionally. But just like I'm talking two or three years ago, the Irish public said, oh, no, it's totally unacceptable that even the idea that somebody might be convicted of insulting somebody else's religious beliefs, that's not appropriate. And, you know, we believe in free speech and so on. And then the same politicians that spearheaded that campaign have now turned around and are effectively attempting to institute a secular blasphemy law, where now instead of getting done because you criticize the Pope or the Holy Trinity or something, you're getting done because you said, uh, oh, uh, I'm refusing to use this person's pronouns or whatever it might be. Uh, so it's the exact le same level of zeal and dogmatic fanaticism that they accuse the church of, which a lot of which is exaggerated, by the way, but uh, whatever to whatever extent that was true, the church was never as uh, zealous as these people are towards woke liberalism or whatever you want to call it. So, Ben, let's talk about what it is that they're that they're that they're proposing to ban here, because you as you mentioned, incitements to riot. Well, you know, there's definitions around that that can be pretty fuzzy. But in principle, incitements to riot are already illegal. They're illegal here in the United States as long as you can prove an actual you know, proximity and intent. Um, it's it's still pretty, and because we have a First Amendment and because that covers an awful lot of ground when it comes to um, public speech, um, you have to, you have to, it's it's very narrowly defined. Incitements to riot are very narrowly defined, but, but in principle, these are things that are illegal in even the most liberalized Western um, countries, including Ireland. So what is it that they're proposing to ban? Is it, is it, um, you know, faith-based, you know, uh, commentary? Is it ethnic commentary? And if so, you know, how does that play out in Irish politics? So they have a list of criteria, uh, kind of protected characteristics under which uh, the, the, this law will sort of try to cover. And so those include a person's gender expression. So that would include transgender individuals, uh, their race, their ethnicity, their religion, their sex, 
things of this nature. There's a whole long laundry list of uh, the, the categories of society that this claims to be attempting to protect. And effectively, if you say anything that is perceived to be hateful towards any one of those groups, then you could find yourself on the wrong side of this law. And of course, the, I mean, there's many problems with that that jump out at any right-minded person, but two big ones are, one, the fact that it's almost impossible to define hatred. I mean, how, how do you right. legislate for that? You know, that doesn't really, it, it's, it's unclear what is motivating people to say the things they do most of the time. You're basically attempting to read the mind of the person and try to uh, in, in, infer their intent, which is not really good legal practice or, or practicable. And then the other consideration is, even if somebody was motivated by hatred, we can all agree as decent, you know, people that that's probably not a good thing and we might condemn that. But is it right for the government to legislate for a human emotion? Is it right to say we are banning this feeling called hatred or whatever it might be? That to me is getting into rather unusually uh, uh, Orwellian territory. Because of course, of course, nobody wants a society where everyone's going around hating each other, each other on the basis of their uh, arbitrary characteristics. But I'm not sure that's the job of the state to manage that and manage how people feel about one another. No, this has been always my problem with hate crime, um, because hate crime is basically a uh, an attempt to legislate how people think. Um, you know, when you're talking about crime. Um, Intent matters to a certain extent. So you, you have to get into somebody's intent. For instance, in homicides, there's varying degrees of charges in homicides. I go from, in the United States anyway, I'm, I'm sure it's similar in, in Ireland, going from what we call first degree murder, which is, you know, full intent to kill somebody um, and, um, you know, with absolutely no uh, justification whatsoever, all the way down to things like negligent homicide or, you know, um, which is you did something stupid without any intent to do any harm to people, but it was grossly negligent enough to um, uh, so that you should have known it could have, it could have done harm. Um, so there's this whole range of things that does, that do relate to intent, but the crime itself is still <laughs> the crime, right? I mean, um, and this has always been my beef about hate crimes is that, uh, two beefs. One is that um, you're basically taking a crime that is punishable anyway, <laughs> yeah. and and you're adding this thing on mostly just to make a point, right? Just to score a political point, because it doesn't really actually factor into sentencing in most cases. And even when it does, it's usually on the extreme end of crimes where the sentence is probably going to be life or something close to it anyway. But the, but the other thing is that it's arbitrary. And this is what you're talking about in terms of this list of things about, about hate. And this is actually worse than I've seen in the United States when it comes to that, this list of protected people. And I'll just focus on one. And I know people are going to roll their eyes, go, oh, you guys don't want to stop talking about this. But the transgender issue is a legitimate issue that has to do with politics, it has to do with culture, in the United States anyway, it has to do with what you're teaching kids in school and, and whether or not you are, uh, people are trying to uh, recruit, exploit, that sort of thing. Those are legitimate public debates. And it would seem to me that the bill in Ireland is intended to just step in and preclude any debate on this whatsoever so that nobody can push back against whatever it is that the state policy is 
on these issues. It, it, it removes it from debate, which is the most anti-democratic thing that you can get. It's, it's, uh, it's a hallmark of authoritarianism, just declaring entire swaths of public uh, policy uh, off limits for public debate. Well, you want to know how just how radical this piece of legislation is. Uh, one of the provisions within it is that it actually goes beyond speech. So it's one thing if you say something that is construed as hateful, that could land you in trouble. But if you are in possession of some written material, let's say, that is construed as hateful, and you're found in possession of it, the police could uh, basically accuse you of having intended to distribute that material. So so let's say, I'm just going to pick a crazy example off the top of my head. Let's say you're a history buff who you, you love reading about World War II. You have a whole collection of books, Winston Churchill's History of the Second World War and all that type of stuff. And you among your literature about World War II, you also own a copy of Mein Kampf. If the police were to come into your house, they could say, well, we think you wanted to distribute this copy of Mein Kampf and photocopy it and send it to all your friends and it's clearly hateful material so on that basis you're in serious legal trouble and here's the most remarkable part about it it specifically says that the onus and the burden of proof is on the accused person to prove that they did not intend to distribute the material which i mean just speaking purely from a logical perspective it's almost impossible to prove a negative how do you prove i didn't intend to like, what, what am I supposed are, are there supposed to be email records of me telling some my friend, hey, by the way, I'm not going to distribute this pamphlet or whatever like that. That's clearly not going to work. So logically, it doesn't make sense. And also, it's just a total inversion of all the principles of Western justice, the presumption of innocence, the fact that if you're accusing me of a crime, you're the one who has to prove that there's wrongdoing on my part. I don't have to prove that I didn't do it. So it's really, really uh, spooky stuff. The the level of kind of uh, booking the norms of everything we we've come to expect from uh, a Western civilized justice system. So, just so that our American audiences are clear on this, the Irish legal system does presume innocence and requires the state to prove um, to prove a case beyond reasonable doubt um, in in criminal matters. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, sometimes, you know, we don't know other countries have different have have different systems. I think the, and I could be wrong about this. It's a very dim memory on my part. But I think the French system is a little bit more nuanced uh, than that, for instance. But um, so but that's a but that's a huge point. I mean, they're inverting the entire approach to justice in order to to silence people. There's no other way of, of putting this. This is a gag order on um, on the Irish. Uh, to keep them from debating. And again, <laughs> we're just, I mean, we're just, a, what is that, uh, you know, a hundred years or so ago that um, uh, for the, for, uh, you know, the, the war of independence and, and all the settlements that went along with that, that's a pretty short time to start saying, Hey, you know what, authoritarianism, that might not be so bad. I'm just, again, I'm just kind of stunned. That a country, yeah, we've we've, we've kind of tried the freedom thing. We had a hundred years of it. We went, you know what? This really isn't for us. We're going back. <laughs> we actually prefer having no rights. Um, but the, you know, I'm I'm obviously joking. But what's funny? What's funny about that is, again, I mean, it, it's not a referendum. It's not like it's been put to a vote right. of the general public. But 
uh, I still think that consultation process says a lot that the only data we have on this, that's basically the only kind of real poll, if you want to put it that way, that's been put to the people and it overwhelmingly told them to shove it up their backsides and people said we want nothing to do with this. And uh, I actually asked the Taoiseach, which is our, uh, our, the Irish word for a prime minister, he fulfills the same role. I asked the Taoiseach uh, about this. I, I said, so why did you conduct a public consultation and then totally disregard the result? What was the point? And effectively, he said, you can, you can view this on our, our uh, Twitter or most of our social media, Gripped Media is uh, our name. You should be able to find us relatively easily. He effectively said that, uh, well, you know, we decided to disregard. First of all, he said the consultation process is important and it's good practice. But then he said, but we kind of disregard it because uh, they're open to just being hijacked by activists and most of the country doesn't participate in them. So they're really not that reliable. And what's amazing about so, so then, of course, I followed up with asking, so why did you do it in the first place if they're generally not reliable? And he kind of just waffled and evaded the uh, the answer. He said, well, look, the government decides the law, not random online consultations. So in order to get out of the, the bind he was in, he had to just nuke the entire process. But what's what's particularly noteworthy about that is, and I'm sure it's the same in America and most Western countries, the government uses these public consultations all the time to show that they have support for X or Y policy. They use it routinely. And in fact, even on this one, before I dropped my story exposing it for what it was, uh, the Department of Justice, they, they were putting out tweets saying, um, oh, we're delighted that we received thousands of responses for this consultation. And now we'll be proceeding with the hate speech laws because they just assumed nobody was going to actually look through the material. And so they, what they were implying was because of all the, the the volume of responses, oh, we got thousands and thousands of people. If you're not uh, familiar with the facts, you're going to look at that and say, oh, wow, that must have been huge demand for the hate speech laws. That must have been people urging them on and saying, yeah, go on. We want this uh, yesterday. Get get it signed into law when it's literally the exact opposite. So basically what I'm trying to say is these, these processes are uh, totally ironclad and reliable if they confirm what the government already wanted to do. But if they backfire and people tell them, no, we don't want this, then suddenly, oh, well, we can't trust that. What <laughs> That process has no legitimacy. So it's really just a mechanism for laundering public support for what the government wants to do anyway. It's not a consultation process. They don't care what you say. It could have been 99%. It could have been 100% no, and they still would have driven ahead with it. That's basically what we've learned from this whole thing. So I guess the question then is... Um... Can we expect, based, based on this reaction, which clearly the Irish public um, is animated against this particular proposal, can we expect uh, the dial to actually react to that and respond to that, uh, uh, respond to that public um, response in this, in this, um, in this consultation? Um, we would call it a comment period, by the way. We do this all the time. Nobody pays it. Only enterprising journalists like yourself actually dig into what the comments were. Um, <laughs> and especially if they contradict what the government is saying, only very few enterprising journalists over here will actually delve into those things. But they're public just as this was, just as this consultation was, and you can find it. Um, I mean, based on the numbers that you guys put up there, this has got to be very unpopular. So will the Irish parliament actually 
respond to the public on this? Or are the parties that control the parliament just so invested in the whole idea of speech suppression that there's that this is just going to be a walkover for Varadkar and his and his um, uh, administration? Well, I would say that uh, I was talking to a, a senator friend of mine, and I asked him once, uh, "What is the easiest point to stop a bill during its journey from?" like through through the Irish parliament. So if you if you wanted to try and prevent it from becoming a law, what's the moment at which it's most stoppable? And he said before it's even been drafted, when it's just an idea and somebody says, "Hey, maybe we should have hate speech laws or maybe we should put a new tax on cars or whatever it is." That's the moment to jump in and hit it with everything you have because once they've actually done the work of drafting it, and I'm sure it's the same in most countries, these things take months of debate. They go through the doll, which is the, the lower house of the Irish parliament. They, uh, you know, politicians talk about it. They propose amendments. Then the, the amendments have to be debated. It's going on for months and years. And then finally, it's passed to the Shannon, which is our version of the Senate. And they do the same thing and they scrutinize it. And they so the, the, the more uh, of this process has gone on the more humiliating it is for the government to admit that they were wrong. So if it gets to the stage where it's at the Shannon and you've been working on this for, you know, three years, four years, which is what where we are now, if they were to tomorrow say, okay, look, the people don't want it, we'll scrap it. You've just scrapped hours and hours, uh, you know, years worth of parliamentary time and you look like idiots. So I think their pride probably wouldn't let them just arrest the whole process at this stage. I think the most hopeful thing we can uh, realistically expect at this point, if everything went swimmingly well, would be that maybe the Shannon, uh, the Senate will propose some reasonable amendments that might curb some of the worst excesses of the bill. So it'll still go through, but it just won't be quite as horrific. That might, I, I, you see, it's, it's tricky because the Shannon tends to be a lot more liberal then the doll. So if the doll didn't stop it, the odds of the Shannon they're going to seems ludicrous. But uh, maybe with the backlash, as you say, they might think twice and go, ah, maybe we should uh, try and like just curb this a little bit. I wonder if it wouldn't be better just pass it in its original form and, and let the politicians who fronted this thing um, have to deal with the backlash. I'm wondering if watering it down might make, actually make the situation worse so that it's, you know, I, I mean, there's a stupid analogy of frog and uh, a frog in boiling water, right? Which is not true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that if you drop a frog in boiling water, it'll hop right back out. But if you drop a frog in tepid water and slowly heat it up, it will it will boil to death, which is really not true. That, that doesn't work. By, by the way, I know I know that's I know that's not the point you're making, but just briefly, I've always wondered what kind of sicko scientists are they who are even trying that in the first place. No wonder cancer isn't cured if that's what they're up to, like. I wish they'd get, get to something more serious, but go on. Great point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't a scientific experiment. I'm sure I'm sure this is just folklore uh, <laughs> making its way into into uh, old sayings. But I mean, I, I do wonder if if having this go in in tepid form and and then slowly work its way into into a, a more authoritarian form in practice is is a worse outcome. It might be better to just pass the authoritarian bill um and and let people see it for what it really is right off the bat but obviously we both prefer that it doesn't pass at all 
I, th- I think I think you're yeah. I think you're right about that, and I also think, um, in a sense, like if it does come to pass, which seems fairly uh, reasonable to expect that it will, I think that uh, people who oppose the bill should start using it aggressively, and every politician involved should be getting hit with a hate speech accusation every day of the week, basically, because they've cast such a broad net. You know, a lot of these people never expect it to come back on them. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll give just one example off the top of my head. The fact that our our state broadcaster, RTE, which is like the Irish equivalent to the BBC, basically, or I think it's NPR in America. uh, They had they they broadcast a sketch a couple of years ago, and it was basically accusing God of being a rapist. It was supposed to be a comedy sketch, but it was saying that God had raped the Virgin Mary and it was around like Christmas time or something. And obviously Catholics and Christians were sickened by this and horrified. But and at our our state broadcaster, by the way, is extremely liberal as well. And, uh, you know, tend a lot of people believe that it's it skews that way politically uh, because of the way they cover so many stories. So if the hate speech laws had been in place at the time of that sketch being broadcast, I would say people should take a case and at least see does that qualify as hate speech? Because it's clearly derogatory towards people's religious views now i'm not saying like in a normal society i wouldn't want that to be penalized or punished you know i'm not i'm not saying that ordinarily but what i mean is the only thing worse than a hate speech law is a hate speech law that's inconsistently applied where it only targets one half of the political spectrum and society and the people who actually promoted it and brought it into law get away scot-free with saying whatever the hell they want that is the only thing that could be worse than you know having it in the first place now, 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 Ben, you're running afoul of the hate speech law already. The Scots are already objecting to you saying that they got away scot-free. I mean, <laughs> I, it's only, a, it's only a matter of how many years I'm going to get now. The, the, the actual penalty is, uh, that's already decided. All right, everybody, everybody, everybody say, everybody keep your mouth shut about what Ben just said, because we want Ben to come back here. So, you know, and I don't want to interview him from, from an Irish prison. That's a bad thing. Um, the phone uh, quality is terrible apart from anything. So you barely hear me like. That's exactly right. Uh, one more question about this, though. Um, now, in the, in the United States, Congress passes a lot of really stupid laws, some of which are just flat out unconstitutional. There's the opportunity to challenge these in the judiciary and the judiciary ends up being the final authority as to whether or not there's a constitutional conflict. A, I'm not necessarily sure what the Irish constitution would have to say about this, but B, does the Irish system allow for that? Or is, is this more of a, uh, a situation where parliamentary is the ultimate authority as to um, how their laws fit in with the constitution? Well, unfortunately the Irish constitution, which I do have a lot of respect for in many ways, but one of the critical weaknesses with it is almost every right contained within it is uh, it, it includes the caveat that, that taking speech, for an example, people have the right to express their views. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it says something to the effect of people are allowed to express whatever beliefs they hold uh, subject to public order and morality. And that last part is so vague that the government while there is theoretically a right to free speech within the Irish constitution, a court could say, well, public morality, you know, it's not right to say that uh, uh, you think that there's no such thing as transgenderism and there's only men or women. So therefore that is an immoral thing to say. And it's 
uh, it's illegal. So I'm not sure we're going to get too much um, constitutional protection, unfortunately. Now, one of the things that could happen is uh, the president of Ireland, we have we have an unusual uh, role for the president. Basically, if a, if a bill comes to his desk, once it's been approved by the Dáil and the Shannon, the upper house and the lower house of our, our parliament, he has to sign it. It's not up to him. Even if he hates it, he still has to sign it unless it's unconstitutional. And he has the power to refer it to the Supreme Court and they can take a look at it. And if they say, yeah, it's constitutional, then he has to sign it. If they say, no, we don't think so, then he doesn't. So um, the, the president is very liberal, but who knows if we might be able to get through to him and get him to refer it. And then maybe the Supreme Court could take a look at it. And then at least, while I'm not hopeful that that would bear fruit, at least we could say we did it in an exhaustive way and all avenues were uh, attempted, you know? Right, and then right. at that point, once it comes in, uh, I, I don't know where you go from there other than just having a government that is willing to scrap it from the books. And possibly, eventually, you would get that because the backlash to this could be serious enough, if, especially if it's applied, you know, emphatically. Um, it's going to generate a lot of anger and that will exp eventually express itself politically, unless, of course, uh, political opposition to the current regime is declared hate speech. <laughs> is, of course, the risk of going down this road in the first place is the reason why we have to be really vigilant about these efforts to um, to shut down debate. Ben, um, we're just about out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell us once again how people can find gripped.ie um, and uh, what else you're working on. Yeah, so uh, Grip.ie, as as you say, is our website. We're on social media. If you look up Gripped Media, you'll be able to find us relatively easily or just Gripped. I'll spell that out just so people who at home who are listening can find that. That's G-R-I-P-T. And uh, yeah, we're uh, an Irish news site. We're based in Dublin and uh, we're kind of the only conservative leaning Irish news outlet in the country. We're only a couple of years old. Basically, long story short, Ireland had an abortion referendum a few years ago, and uh, that vote overwhelmingly went in favor of the liberal position, the pro-choice position. And so many Irish people were horrified, conservative Irish people were horrified uh, by that result. And they realized that effectively it was because there was no alternative media that was willing to break ranks with liberal orthodoxy. And so there had to be within the media landscape uh, an outlet that would address not just social issues, but things like climate change, COVID-19, you know, wh wh whatever the issue of the day is, giving takes that are not 100% uh, in lockstep with the kind of current thing, as people say. So that's that's what our uh, our publication, Gripped, is set up to do. And uh, we're, I, if, if I may be so bold, I think we're pretty good at it. We're, we're going from strength to strength at the minute. So if people want to check us out, that would be terrific. I'm Ben Scallon my, uh, on Twitter. You can find me. So, uh, yeah, thanks. That's, yeah. that's pretty much it. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. At Ben underscore Scallon, S-C-A-L-L-A-N. That's where you can find his personal uh, uh, Twitter feed and uh, Gripped Media, G-R-I-P-T Media. I think it's just run together. For, uh, for that Twitter feed, gript.ie. Um, great website. If you want to know what's going on from a conservative perspective, 
in Ireland, um, especially in regards to pro, you know, the pro-life issues, but in regard to lots of different things. And this is a great example why Ben was on site. He challenged um, the prime minister, the Taoiseach, um, about this, um, about this um, consultation hypocrisy. And he's got the video up. He's got the video up on his on his timeline. So you should check this out because <laughs> the Iron Car was was a little um, he was a little uncomfortable with that, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a bit of shuffling going on, I think. Yeah, uh, what we would what we would say in America is hamana 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 hamana. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, so we get, we get that a lot from our politicians. Joe Biden's really good at the hamana 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 thing. So, uh, but but I digress. Ben Scallon, thanks so much for being with us. Can't wait to talk to you again. Uh, make sure you stay in touch, and I'm going to keep an eye on grip.ie. Thanks so much, Ed. <laughs>